Welcome to the Tamarin Learning Podcast, where host Dr. Kirby Ross-Plock speaks with experts on many topics relevant in the ultra-high net worth family wealth management space. Kirby is author of several books, including The Complete Family Office Handbook, and shares her expertise consulting with families and family offices. Kirby is also the founder of Tamarind Learning, an online wealth education platform that develops practical, foundational learning programs for beneficiaries to help them prepare for responsible stewardship of wealth. Welcome to the Tamarind Learning Podcast. My name is Dr. Kirby Rosbach, and I'll be your host today. I'm thrilled to have Ronan Schwartzman with me here today. We're going to be talking about asset allocation and implications for your 2021 goals as we think about your asset allocation. Ronan is founder of 10 Capital Advisement Background. We're so lucky to have him here today. He works with various families and family offices on investing, and he's also the CIO for the Cooper Family Office. With over 20 years of experience with capital markets and investing, we're thrilled to dig in today, Ronan, with you and talk a little bit more about asset allocation. So, Ronan, let's talk about that 40-60 portfolio that is sort of the bedrock of right portfolio construction. And I'm just going to pop open a slide as we talk about it. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts yeah, on the 40-60? Absolutely. So, so, yeah. So first, Kirby, thanks, thanks for having me. And I'm excited to be uh, speaking with you today. And uh, so let's talk about the, the asset allocation model. So traditionally, um, you know, we had a model which was the, what's called the 60-40. Uh, the 60-40 means 60% of the assets are allocated to equities uh, and 40% into fixed income. And over the last two or three decades, this pretty much have worked well. Uh, but the challenge today, uh, where we're standing, I think things might be a little bit different. Um, and let me explain. Uh, the, that 60-40 model, for the most part, uh, tries to solve for an annual return of about 8% for most people. Um, and for that, we need uh, both the equity markets to work well and also the fixed income portion to work well and generate the returns. Um, the problem is that we live in a world of very low interest rate environment. Um, so for example, the yield on the 10-year US Treasury bond stands today at about 90 basis points, less than 1%. Um, and that's actually pretty good and exciting compared to other parts of the world. Um, if you think about countries like Germany or Switzerland, where then their 10-year yields are in negative of about 50 basis, half a percent negative. Uh, so, so think about that for a, for a moment. Um, you're willing to lend, people are willing to lend money to the government in order to get less money 10 years from now. Um, it continues um, also with other asset classes within fixed income. So think about investment grade bonds. Um, those are yielding today about 3%. Uh, high yield, where some investors thought they can find you know, higher returns, is trading at about 4% yield. So you can even ask yourself, on a risk-adjusted basis, am I compensated enough um, to take this risk? So, so why would anyone want to invest in a bond to say a government like Germany if they're going to make less money in 10 years? It doesn't seem very logical to tie up that capital for a negative return. Um, 
maybe talk to us what you think are some of the other allocation options that you see people going into to mirror that fixed income component. Sure. So, so the first part of, of your question is why would anybody invest in negative yield bonds? Um, and the answer is is to hedge. Um, so, so typically, when in times of um, higher uncertainty and increased uh, volatility in the market, investors rush to uh, what's called the most the safe haven, the most uh, safest asset classes, which are the government bonds, because the theory is the government, you know, can always print more money and pay back its debt. Um, in Europe these days, it's maybe a little bit more uh, uh, complicated because they're in euros and it's not Deutschmarks. But in Switzerland, they, they still have the Swiss francs and they can print money. Same thing here in the United States. Um, but but so, so that's why would people would still continue and buy these uh, bonds. Um, back to the question and the challenges of that 60-40 model. So that we started talking about before. That 60% equity uh, needs to continue and compound at higher returns to compensate for the low interest rate, for the low yields that we get in our fixed income portfolio. That fixed income allocation, as I kind of mentioned before, traditionally has been allocating to investment grade bonds, high yield bonds, um, some municipal bonds. People always like to get municipal bonds where we don't uh, have to pay, they don't have to pay taxes, and some government bonds for safety. Um, the problem with all of them is that the yields are so low. So if we take a, even a blended approach, a blended portfolio, and, and kind of do an average for all these yields, we will probably get a portfolio that has a yield of maybe two and a half to three percent. And that's without us wanting to take too much duration. That's like on a five-year type of portfolio, uh, which we can argue is a little bit uh, uh, long. Um, the, so, so we have two problems with this today. One, the yield that this portfolio generates is just not enough. Um, some may even argue it's not attractive enough to even invest with. Can you argue for me to invest in a municipal bond that generates a one and a half or two percent return? It's just not attractive enough. It doesn't make sense. Um, you can even add to that the potential risk because of the amount of money that we're printing in this country and where some cities or states are uh, carrying large deficits and probably going to have less income from taxes because of all the COVID situation we're in, then there's even a higher risk that we don't know if you'll, you'll get paid for owning those municipal bonds. Um, now, again, if you want to achieve, our, our goal is to get to that 8% total return for a portfolio, and we know that our bond is going to do 3% or even 4%, that means our equity portion needs to do 12% or even higher. Uh, probably we need to get to uh, 14 or 16% annualized returns. So when we combine the two, we can get to that 8% on average. Um, so, so basically, uh, uh, we think, I think that this traditional fixed income allocation uh, model is, is just not going to work going forward. Uh, and investors, you really have to be creative and try to think about new ways how we can generate returns or, or increased yield, higher yields from our fixed income allocation. Uh, so what are we doing about this? Uh, so, so there are different ways to, to think and places to allocate capital to generate higher yields. Um, one is uh, preferred. Um, so preferred is kind of hybrid between equities and bonds. 
uh, and in preferred today's we can probably get something around five or six percent type of yield. Uh, so clearly that this five or six percent is a little bit more attractive than the three percent that we get in investment grade bonds. Mm-hmm. Um, another place that we're allocating capital these days is into uh, REITs. I think REITs are, are attractive. We, there are some private REITs where they are uh, providing loans, construction loans uh, to developers. These are all short-term type of loans. So think of it as 12 to 18 months. So we're not taking what's called too much of duration risk, meaning the risk that interest rates will actually move higher from where they are today. And that can uh, hurt the value of the bonds that we own or, or fixed income instruments. Uh, so private REITs is another place. Um, private credit is, is an area that's been growing a lot in the last few years, exactly because of the situation we're in, where the traditional fixed income generates low returns. Uh, so in private credit, we like to uh, invest in managers uh, that uh, do a few things. But what we like is um, that they have uh, um, uh, credits, uh, tax credits attached to them. Uh, so for example, we're invested in, in a fund that specializes in film tax credits. Um, we've invested with another fund where we know they're providing loans to entities where we have the government uh, as the backstop. So the government is the one who's, who's responsible for paying back our money in the end. So we feel the counterparty risk is low because it's either a state or a government entity that's supposed to pay it back. Uh, and, and we can get more into that soon. Uh, and in this type of, of funds, we can get about 8 to 10% type, um, type of returns. Um, Another part uh, where uh, uh, we like to invest and we think we can solve for this type of returns um, is tradition is, is uh, what's called long short credit hedge funds. So these are hedge funds that go both long and short uh, bonds, and and they overall they have uh, a low volatility, and they can create between six to ten percent annual returns, which we think is better. Um, and, and so this is pretty much this is what we do. Um, the, the only downside to all these or, or most of these is that we give up the daily liquidity. Uh, so the advantage of those traditional municipal bonds or government bonds or corporate bonds is that uh, we have daily liquidity in there, meaning we can say if we own the bonds or the mutual fund or the ETF, we can sell it every day and get our money back. Whereas if we're investing in a private credit fund, we probably have to lock our money for a year. Uh, so we still think that within the overall fixed income allocation, there should be some allocation to those uh, more traditional fixed income, maybe a government you know, bond or, or even an investment grade bond, uh, but at a much smaller amount. And these can give the families uh, their daily liquidity in case they need them. So this is a great way to diversify basically your fixed income portion of your pie um, and probably increase to some degree or have the opportunity to, to enhance your you know, return on that fixed income, but also maybe spread the risk around a little bit more um, you know, as you're thinking about different fixed income strategies. Talk to us a little bit um, about the equity portion. What are some of the things that you're seeing and anticipating going into 2021 um, that look attractive to your families, to you? What are you most excited about? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
So, so overall, we're still we're fairly constructive about equity markets for the coming year. Um, we think that you know we had the vaccine news coming you know last month, uh, and that's definitely something we've all been waiting for, um, and it will help to reaccelerate the opening of our economy next year here and around the world. Um, so what we've started to see and what we're excited about is uh, our small cap stocks in the United States, for example. Uh, these have lagged the market so far this year. Uh, and now with the reopening, we start to see money uh, flow into them and the valuations there are, are attractive. Um, within that, we like the, uh, the financial sectors and the regional banks, for example. Uh, so until a month ago, nobody wanted to touch them. Everybody was so scared. What's on their balance sheet? How much loan loss provisions have they taken? Um, and how much worse can it get? Now, when, when we know, you know, yes, there's a valley in front of us the next three months until everybody will get the vaccine. Uh, we see a spike now in COVID cases in the United States. Uh, but if we can look after that, let's look, you know, three, six, nine months from today, uh, then clearly the situation will be better. And now the banks are, that are trading at, you know, maybe 70% uh, of their tangible book value, which historically is very attractive levels, uh, are, are looking as, as pretty compelling for us as a sector to be invested in. Um, we also like uh, Asia these days. We like China and we like Japan, um, two areas that certainly uh, can help both in, from diversification perspective um, and, and also can generate good attractive absolute returns. Uh, I think China for one, um, you know, China was the first to, to start with COVID and, and experience that. But if you look at their data, uh, they're past that. Uh, they're back, the numbers there are, are pretty much back to where they were before the pandemic. Uh, so their economy is strong, it's accelerating. Um, China did not print so much money as we are, as we have, and we continue to do, and probably will continue to do next year. Uh, so that's a positive thing in my mind uh, for their economy. Um, and it's continuing to grow its influence in, in the region and, and in the world. Um, so, so we like China. Um, we like Japan as well. Japan is interesting because it's kind of been a dead place for the last 20 years or so. Mm -hmm. um, but but what COVID did, COVID uh, uh, brought to Japan, they kind of forced them to accept uh, certain things that they were not uh, able to do so before. So think of it, um, things such as even signing documents or contracts. Uh, where historically, you know, we had to meet in person, you have, you know, every contract is 100 pages, you got to sit there and sign and sign and sign for hours. Uh, now companies such as DocuSign, you know, is the new normal. And once you start with that, there's no going back. Yeah. Um, so that's one area. Another area, for example, of them accepting uh, this kind of new world we're in is, is food delivery. Um, so where in the past they used to cook more at home and, and go to supermarket, deliveries are, are is becoming more of a norm um, over there just like any other parts of the world so where historically the adoption rate has been very very low um, we start we're seeing acceleration there uh, and and Japan is still a market that's predominantly dominated by retail investors sure. uh, that means there is a lot of alpha to be created 
by professional money managers that are experts in, in the country. Um, so these are some of the things we're, we're excited for next year. And if you had just one or two takeaways on asset allocation as it relates to that traditional 40-60 portfolio, what do you think is gonna, what are some takeaways that we can leave the listeners today with about 2021 and how to think about it? Yeah, I think, um, so 60-40 can continue to exist, but we really have to rethink that 40%. Yeah. Um, so Ronan, when we think about the 60-40 portfolio allocation going into 2021, what are one or two takeaways about what you would advise or think about um, your construction? What's going to work better or not so well in 2021? Yeah. So, so I think 60-40 can continue and exist, but but in a little bit of a different way. So the, let's start with the 60 of the equities. So that that's obviously it's okay. The, um, you know, we need to be diversified. I think not just where you know until uh, maybe this year people more overweight into Nasdaq large cap growth. Uh, so people maybe start think maybe adding to small cap their small cap exposure, perhaps in value stocks. Uh, really have lagged the market significantly in the last decade or so. Um, so the spreads between growth and value kind of really going back today uh, to where we were in the year 2000. Mm -hmm. So so, um, so value is more interesting. Mm -hmm. um, definitely if you do not have uh, uh, international exposure or exposure to Asian markets, that's certainly the time to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. And the 40% fixed income, I really think that, that Traditional, you know, investment grade high yield is is just not the right place to be uh, going forward, and you really have to diversify and, and go into those private credits um, style of managers, look into into those REITs um, areas that you can really get higher yield, uh, mm -hmm. and, and that will help you both from an income generation perspective. Um, and to meet your, your goal at the end of the day to generate an income and excellent. return. Excellent, excellent. Well, it's delightful to have you here today, Ronan. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom on the Tamron Learning Podcast, where we got to cover some investment allocation considerations and thinking about 2021. I'm your host, Kirby Rossbach. It's been a pleasure having you tune in. Thanks so much, Ronan. Thank you very much, Kirby.